Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 262 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I am so glad that you are here with me today as I talk to J.L. Torres on reading like a writer and what that can do for our work, for our stories, um, for kind of our brains as writers doing this weird thing that we do. Uh, So I know that you're going to enjoy the interview portion of today's episode. What is going on around here? Uh, If you watch on the YouTube, you can see, I don't know why this light makes my face bright, bright red, but it is. I'm going for it. Tomato Rachel in the house. Uh, I'm in a co-working space in a very small town called Carterton. We are um, staying in a, a very small Airbnb and I needed to get out and also I needed uh, fast Wi-Fi. So I'm very glad that this place is here and that I get to use it. And I have been using it wisely. I finished the audio editing of the 10th anniversary re-release of A Legend Stitches. And I tell you what, I am going to look into perhaps saving some money to get someone to edit that next time. What happens, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about doing this editing is before we left the States, I lined my closet because it was empty. We'd moved everything out of it. And I thought this is a great time and I needed to get it done. Lined my closet with blankets um, and things to make it a soundproof or sound, uh, what's the word? buffered, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean, Um, area to record in. And I recorded it. What you do when you're recording an audiobook is you do not, it's just like writing a first draft um, and even a second draft. You don't make it perfect as you go. You read as carefully as you can, and then you stumble, and then you stop, and then you keep going. You pick it up where you left off, and you just keep speaking. So there are just a lot of speakos inside the file that you need to get rid of. Uh, Some days I could tell that I was a little bit more awake and smarter and brighter and there would be whole, you know, like maybe 45 seconds that I would go without an error that I needed to redo and cut out the the thing that I messed up. Um, And then sometimes it would be phrase by phrase and stitching those pieces together so that you can't tell that there's been a break. It just takes hours and hours and hours. Probably, I think it takes, well, let's say, I think it takes me about an hour per chapter. These were 2,000 word chapters and there are 25 chapters. So 25 hours, which really isn't that bad, right? You can't do that in a week because you would burn out and exhaust yourself, but you also can't do it the way that I was doing it, which was about one chapter a week. That would have stretched out to a lot of weeks, 25 weeks was something I didn't want to spend on it. So when I made this decision, like two weeks ago to go hard and focus on one project at a time instead of trying to spread myself thin over all the projects. I always come back to this resolution and it works really well. And suddenly two weeks later, I'm completely done with the editing, uh, getting the book uploaded. I'm super excited to get it out there. I'm really proud of this 10th anniversary edition. I got to clean up the essays. I got to rearrange them. I got to add essays. Um, to kind of fill in what's happened in the last 10 years. And I love the book. So today, in fact, I'm concentrating on doing things like making the vellum proof for the 
interior of the print book and looking at cover choices and that kind of stuff is so exciting to me no lie that I woke up at four o'clock this morning I don't remember why but I laid there and thought about making these decisions for the next hour and 15 minutes I love writing I love having written and I really love revising but there's a big part of me that just loves the business aspect too and when you give me complete permission to sit down and think hard about the business and the uploading and the formatting and the marketing, I get really, really excited. And I love that I'm in this part of the process right now. So that is, that's super exciting. That is going forward apace. Um, where are we in New Zealand? We are in, were we here last week? No, I don't think we were. Uh, we are in the Wairarapa. Um, like I said, uh, near Carterton, we're staying on a farm, a cattle and sheep farm, and we're staying at a place called the Good End of the Shed, and it really is a shed that they have made into a small Airbnb. Um, it's more, it's kind of more like a B&B, which I'm not the most fond of because the host is kind of right there, and uh, I, we, we kind of like a little bit more autonomy. However, this host brings us fresh milk from the cow and fresh bread and the, her homemade preserves. And so that kind of thing is divine. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is that if you follow me on social media, I love social media, please come follow me on all the places. I tend to post a lot of exciting, fun, beautiful pictures of what we are doing, what we are surrounded by, uh, every week it's a little bit different. Last week I was picture I was posting pictures of gorgeous Wellington. Right now it's these incredible green fields that we're surrounded by. Um, and I want to really state clearly because I, I have gotten a few comments that that sound like people are saying, "Wow, it must be nice to be able to do that." Oh yes, it is. It is actually really nice to be able to do this. However, keep just just don't ever forget that when you are watching people on social media. They have real lives. And I think that you and I, because you listen to this podcast, we have a special relationship. And um, I can be very honest with you and tell you that it is also really hard. This move has not been easy uh, emotionally, physically, mentally. We see amazing things and we're having so much fun. Um, I think one of the most fun things yesterday was driving with Lala on the country roads because she hasn't spent any time driving on the left side of the road. I've been doing all of it. Um, and it was nerve-wracking, <laughs> a little bit terrifying. Uh, I kept thinking she was going to drift off the verge, off the left side of the road. Guess what? She didn't. I was just being a control freak. Um, but also leaving everything we knew behind, getting rid of most of our possessions, selling our house, um, losing three animals in a year, and having to leave the other two behind having no friends in place in C2 yet. Um, it's It's been making me need to really take care of myself. And there was a week last week where I had two migraines and I, I never really know whether I have the migraines because I'm not doing well or I don't, I'm not doing well because I have the migraines. It's a chicken and egg kind of situation. But um, there's something that we talk about in 12-step groups, which is uh, pulling a geographic. A lot of people move because they think they'll be a new person, a different person when they get to the place that they land. Uh, of course, that is always a fallacy. It is not true. It doesn't happen. I am in 
this place and I am still me. And me being me, I still need to do the healthy things that keep my brain healthy and that give me the energy pennies, like Becca Sign always talks about. Uh, I have to spend energy pennies on a daily basis. We're spending more energy pennies on a daily basis in a pandemic. I'm spending extra right now because I'm always in a new place every week, um, dealing with new things, new questions, new, new issues. And if I am not concentrated on making those energy pennies so that I have them to spend, I end up crashed out and depleted. Um, and, and it's just something I've been thinking a lot about. So I have been going back to basics and eating well and sleeping as much as I can and uh, oh, exercising, taking these long walks. Well, one of the really cool things is that when you do long walks when you're traveling, it's always new and incredible and fresh. Um, so that is, that's been really fun and generative and I need to do yoga and I need to do my meditation and I need to fit all of that stuff in. Otherwise I just turn into a grumpy person feeling like a, I did when I was grumpy in California. The, um, the thing about me and, and my wife is our happiness set point. Um, they talk about, I think the happiness set point is worth about 40% of your happiness. I think it's just kind of the way you were genetically, genetically born. Um, both of our genetic happiness set points are pretty high. So even on our most worried days, when we were talking about moving, we would always come back to the thing. Well, and say, well, we're, we're normally pretty content. We're probably going to be pretty content there. And that is the way we have been feeling. But you may have been hearing it in my voice in the episodes. Um, I'm getting tired. We are here for another week because we didn't want to move around too much. And then we moved to um, what will hopefully be our last Airbnb for three weeks in Wellington. And then hopefully we will get the house we are dreaming of to rent. Um, none of that is a for sure. And I can admit right now that my heart would be broken if we don't get this house. Uh, we're so, we're so excited about it. So things are stressful. Things are hard and things are still good. And I am still grateful every moment. And I'm so happy that I have my work to cling to. Um, some of my roughest days recently have been the days I try to take off. Why is my hair sticking straight up like that? Just noticed on the video. Um, for me taking time off, has to be pretty carefully planned so that I don't end up in kind of a downward funk spiral and allowing myself to do a little work on some of my days off really does help sometimes. So that's something I got to keep an eye on. But when I am working all day on the stuff that I love to do, like thinking about the metadata for this new 10th anniversary re-release, I get, it just feels so good. It feels so good to my brain. And, um, yeah, I'm saying this out loud kind of as a reminder to myself and maybe as a reminder to you. If you are not writing, kind of ask yourself about those energy pennies that you need to spend to sit down and start the work. I find I spend the most just to sit down and start the work, the first five minutes. Once the first five minutes are done, the rest of the day, so much easier. If you don't have the energy pennies to sit down and do the work, how can you make them? What very small change or a couple changes can you make that will give you a little bit more? Uh, that has been pivotal to me during this incredible time 
of the last five months of being homeless and upheaval. Uh, yeah, we've only been here for two months, but a little bit more than two months, but um, we've been homeless and living out of suitcases for about five. Oh boy, mama's done. Yeah, I'm done. Hopefully, hopefully soon we will find a place to rest and I can't wait for it. Uh, thank you for being with here, me here as I kind of wander through what's going on in my brain. I always, always appreciate that you are here and that what I say may spark something in your own mind or, or what I talk about with my guests may spark an idea, may give you a little bit of a revelation about how to do your work a little bit more reliably, um, with more joy. So with that said, let's go jump into the interview with JL and I wish you very happy writing. My friends, I'll talk to you soon. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to, and if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically, I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show, JL Torres. Hello, JL. Uh, hi, Rachel, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. I am thrilled to have you. Let me give you a short introduction here for people okay. who might not know you. J.L. Torres is the author of The Family Terrorist and Other Stories, the novel The Accidental Native, and the poetry collection Boricua Passport. His short story collection, Migrations, won the inaugural Tomas Rivera Book Prize and was just released from LARB Libros. Born in Puerto Rico and raised in the South Bronx, he now lives in Plattsburgh, New York, and teaches. American literature, U.S. ethnic cultures, or sorry, ethnic literatures and creative writing at SUNY Plattsburgh. He holds a PhD from the University of Southern California and an MFA in creative writing from Columbia University. Welcome and congratulations on migrations. Oh, thank you so much. I was lucky enough to be given a copy and it's just, it's beautiful writing. It's incredible writing. So I am so happy to have you on the show to talk about your writing process with our listeners. Sure. Um, maybe you can start out by telling us how does being born in Puerto Rico inform you as a writer? Because it, it informs everything about you as a writer, I think. Right. Well, I mean, if you start from the premise that uh, you write what you know, uh, what I know about a lot about is really the experience of being a Puerto Rican, a diaspora Rican, uh, living in the United States. And a lot of my writing really focuses on that experience. Yeah. What does your writing practice look like today with all of these other things you're doing with the teaching and the, how does your writing fit into your life? All right. So, so that's, that's a good question. I mean, uh, you know, being a uh, academic, we, we only have these little spurts you know, mm-hmm. of, of time that we can actually write. So I've always been able to schedule, you know, my writing projects, uh, you know, during that time. 
otherwise, it's very difficult. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how busy an academic can be. Mm-hmm. Besides the, the classroom teaching, you also have meetings and you have all these other stuff that, that you have to do. So I just try to manage that time. Now I'm retiring. So actually, I, I'm going to have oh, a little congratulations. bit. congratulations. <laughs> after 40 years. Uh, so now for the first time in my life, I find that I'm actually a full-time writer. So, oh, um, so now have you already retired or are you just like right in the process of doing it? Uh, the process, you know, in September will be the first, you know, first will be the official. I wonder how things will change for you. Uh, well, besides uh, more time to travel when yeah. the pandemic madness ends, uh, more time to write. And that means that I can really, I have several projects that I've kept, uh, you know, kind of at a distance because I, it would take more time. With more time, I think I can, I, I've never had problems when I have the time to write. I've never really experienced a, a writer's block or anything like that. Uh, it's just when I have the time, I, I'm, I'm very productive, but it's very difficult when you, you know, schedule, when you have to navigate, you know, all this stuff uh, besides teaching and grading. I grade a lot because I teach a lot of writing. Yeah. And besides, you know, all that. And then, then the social life and family life. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the the really important things. Yeah. So how? So I I have taught and I teach, um, but not in a full time academic way. But I have a problem keeping the energy that I give to the classes, um, holding on to enough energy to do my own work. How how have you managed that? Well, whenever uh, I, I actually really am writing in writing mode, uh, I don't have any of that. I don't have the classes. I don't have anything because it's summer. So yeah. that I, I do find energy and it's, you know, I'm yeah. a morning writer. I have to, you know, get up. I, I put in maybe try to put in four hours until lunch. And if I'm really, really going strong, I'll, I'll come back and maybe put another two hours. But I do not write or try to write in the evenings. Yeah. Uh, because I'm just so loopy and <laughs> groggy. I mean, I don't grade papers then, right? It's unfair yeah. to yeah. students that, that I'm like, you know, like, oh, this sounds like a B. No, <laughs> I, I, I can't do that. I have to really be sharp, right? So I, I said, let me just vegetate for a while. I, yeah. I can't do any of, any of that. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing then? Well, you know, um, I Always the time is, is always a, a challenge, isn't it, for mm-hmm. all of us? But really, my biggest challenge, I find, is since I write stories having to do with, with the Puerto Rican community in all kinds of ways, uh, the hardest thing for me is finding material that I feel uh, it, I, I, don't, I, I can't exploit or I want to exploit because sometimes it's very easy to fall in those traps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of tropes in Latinx literature that includes Puerto Rican literature. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how many stuff has been written about gangs and, you know, abusive, you know, fathers <laughs> and, you know, uh, all this kind of dysfunctional stuff. So I, I, the biggest challenge is finding material to write that I feel I can do justice to mm. with, without also falling into the demands of much of mainstream publishing that is seeking for sensational stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to do the the maybe the cheaper, easier thing mm-hmm. for the for the blast of it. What does your Puerto Rican community look like in Plattsburgh? What does it look like there? <laughs> I don't know what Plattsburgh it. is like. <laughs> You're looking at it. Oh, no, it's I, you. <laughs> that, that's not really true. I mean, they're, 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 actually, there aren't that many of us. There, and if, if they are, I know them. Or more. There's more of a Latinx community. I mean, a yeah. little small. Yeah. And then, of course, the students, right? 
when the students are on session, there's, there's more of a community, but there aren't too many of us up here, quite frankly. Yeah. How does that affect your writing? Well, uh, actually, one of the stories in the collection, in World, deals with a person that came up here and, and uh, sort of, the, you know, has cut all roots from his community. And that person uh, is in a very lonely spot, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't really connect. And they, they, his wife died and now he's all alone and he can't connect with that community. So he has nothing now, right? He's kind of rootless. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I sometimes feel that way, you know, I'm, I'm five hours away from New York City, which is a hub of, you know, mm-hmm. the, there's a lot, of, a lot of Puerto Ricans in, in New York City, but, but I, I don't have that here. So um, I feel uh, isolated along with my family. So we, from, from time to time, we, 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 we have to kind of refresh <laughs> our Puerto Ricanness by going to, Puerto, uh, to, to, um, to New York City and, and connecting yeah. with family there. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh, uh, well, I love I loved the short story. I really, uh, I, this is my second collection. Yeah. I've written one novel. I want to write another novel. In fact, I'm working on one. But th- short stories are just, they make me happy to write them and be able to find that click yeah. at the end that everything seems to be falling in place. When that happens, I'm a very happy person because <laughs> I feel that the story, I mean, the, the, the characters are working, you know, whatever plot I have, whether it's character driven or otherwise, everything's coming together. And I feel like this is, this is done. This is a good story. And, you know, it's very hard to find that with the novel because the novel has so many, as you know, you're a novelist and there's so many parts of it that, trying to get it all together and of course you have more experience there so maybe you can give me some advice do you ever get that feeling yourself when you when you have it all clicking oh yeah yeah but it it doesn't it doesn't click well i don't know i think the clicks feel different in my head um i think mm-hmm. that's i have this hierarchy in my brain and i don't think it's correct but i'm going to say it anyway i think that novels are up here and then short stories are harder to write and then poetry is oh. the hardest to write um, because you're always distilling. So I think the clicks True. in the novel kind of maybe happen more frequently, but aren't as important perhaps for me, but a click in a short story. Oh, you've got it. You're right. You already that for that reason, right? And talking about this distilling, that's that's like Gwendolyn Brooks said it all, right? Poetry yeah. basically. So so you're right. And, and that's why I feel that you can get that click yeah. where a novel seems there's so many parts that maybe this little part clicks, but when the exactly. overall... Yeah, exactly. I, and I, you may need to throw that click away tomorrow because it doesn't make any <laughs> it doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah, that's true. So speaking of writing and being on the page, can you share a craft tip with us? OK, I, I, I think that the master tip for me, please, is, is, is to and I might be wrong, but this is for me, is really reading as a writer. OK, tell us more about that. How do you do it? OK, because. It, when you're when you're you're reading, and we, you know, all of us have taken probably English classes, and you always read for interpretation. What is the meaning of this? And you know, as a student, uh, you know, I, I did a doctor, so it's always like trying to find out how I'm going to interpret this. What is my reading on this, and how I'm going to write that critical uh, academic paper, right? So we've taught to do that, right? Finding meaning, like squeezing meaning out of it. Mm-hmm. But when you write, when you read as a as a writer, you come to a passage that's absolutely seemingly flawless to you or something just triggers you go this is amazing so you have to stop and go back and read it you know in a, in a sort of writerly way and say okay why you know how did this particular writer make this happen you know and then really find it and I'll give you a couple of examples I mean I remember reading 
Alice Munro, great storyteller, great the best, the, the best, best, yeah. And so I'm reading her, and I find, wow, she has such a great way of sort of segueing into 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 different sequences that you're reading, and you go, oh my god, I'm like ten years. This is ten years later, and and without that jarring sort of many years later, right. you know, kind of thing, <laughs> and and and. And you know, it's not like jarring. It was jarring to me because I realized that what she had done, but I was already engaged and I was already flowing and I would have continued reading until I said, yeah. wow. So I went back and, you know, and then I realized it's, it's all about the details that she included, the sort of, you know, objective correlates. I mean, all this stuff that mm. kind of makes you say, okay, uh, I'm beginning to sense something different here. And then you get it because you start putting it all together, but you want to keep writing, reading, right? Yeah. That kind of thing is, I think, what all of us need to look with, you know, writers that's the best tip I can give because then those are tips that you find yourself yeah. with every you're, master. You're kind of creating your own curriculum. Right. My problem, and I don't know if you have an answer for this, but my problem is um, collating that information. I have this idea. So what I, I read a lot on Kindle and I will highlight it so that you can go back and look at it later online, um, which right. is great. It's all there, but, but I never do anything with it. I mean, I have this revelation <laughs> and I think, oh my gosh, it's changed me as a person and as a writer. And then I know I forget 90% yeah. of them. Do well, you have a, I, do you have a co- collation? Uh, method? I, I think if, it, if it's, if it's a matter, if it's a tip, if I've, I've seen something and I'll give you another example from, from, uh, you know, uh, Cormac McCarthy does not use, um, you know, these quotation marks, you know, when he does mm-hmm. his dialogue. And Juno Diaz does the same thing. Right. And I started noticing that. And then this collection, I said, I'm going to, dis- I'm just going to discard these quotation marks. So put into practice, you know, as soon as yeah, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put, put it into practice. And uh, I find that it really, in that case, it really helps the overall flow because how obtrusive are those quotation marks? Really, why are they there? When we all read, we know what dialogue is by now. It's almost like you watch a film you know when it's a cut and you know when the dissolve comes, it's going to, why do we need to have these quotations? And so there's these conventions that are old that, but I really believe that when you take them out, it forces you, instead of just putting this crutch, right? This is a, this is a, you know, it, it forces you to really uh, improve your dialogue and, and make it flow better. Gosh, I think that's so, that's such a deep and insightful thing. It is a crutch now that I think about it, but I am, but it's interesting. I can't think of any female writers who do this. I mean, I'm Roddy Doyle does it. Um, interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to cogitate try it. this. Try yeah, it. I and will. It, and I think, that, you know, th- take a passage that you're working on and do it and try to do it because and if it, it doesn't really... work, then you're right. Your dialogue isn't strong enough. Period. Yeah. Because yeah. Sh- that's a good point because yeah. you know, the, 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 the point is that the dialogue should just work without yeah. having to need, you know what I mean? You should know when it's the, yeah. the and how do you, how do you keep that flow going? And I think it helps the overall flow of the piece because um, dial, you know, dialogue is, is a stop, isn't it? We're going to stop mm-hmm. and talk now for a while. And sometimes I like to embed the dialogue in a paragraph and, and to keep that flowing too, right? Maybe it's one, one piece of dialogue that's included. And I, I think it, that's work that you should try to do to make overall. Flow. I love that. You, you, find the, you find the mastery and to make it your own, you practice it. You that's, the, practice it. that's the missing piece that I have not that, been doing. That, and, and, you know, and I know you're working on something all the time. So just try it. And, yeah. You know, that Why I not? tried it with this, with this collection. It forced me to go back and look at the dialogue. That is so, so, so cool. Yeah, so all right. So what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? 
oh wow you know i that that's a good the, the key for me there is the word surprising right yeah. there's a lot, a lot of things that uh, uh, you know have affected my life but i think it's sometimes i read my pieces and i ask myself well, why is why is this character so angry and also the violence sometimes i don't i don't know if you had a chance to to read some of the pieces but yeah i did but, yeah 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 they're beautiful you know and, and I'm like, but myself, I'm like not a violent person. I am not mm-hmm. by nature. And so I'm always asking myself, what is that? But then I'm thinking about my life and how I've watched a lot of violence. Mm. Not a lot, but I've watched more than I should have. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've had things like I've been playing basketball with my friends at a particular place. And, you know, some guy comes out with a machete and hits another guy, you know, and, I, and my friends and I watching this and I'm oh like, my God. you know, yeah. Uh, or or the violence that people do to themselves, you know, or society does to them when I'm walking up the stairs in my tenement house building and I see a junkie line on, on you know, that these are things mm-hmm. that just still in my mind. I can't. So maybe that surprises me that sometimes uh, mm. the violence, the violence is there and it even bothers me, but, but it's out of coming out of me. Right. So I, I, I know it's coming from somewhere that maybe an angry place because I'm also sometimes angry by stuff that's happening to, to, yeah. To us. Does know. it does it rise up out of your writing um, as a surprise, or is it something that you plan to add? No, I I, I don't think you could really package that. You know, like yeah, in, yeah. It's, it's, it's you write a scene, and then uh, the, the always the, the biggest problem, right? How I'm going to end the story, right? Do I have to really go to the violent route? You know, it should be organic, right? But if it's there and the opening's there, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I do, or yeah. the scenes. The scenes don't have to be that. I try not to write gratuitous violence. I mean, that's that's, that's of course, really, of course. But but still, you know, it's like navigating this thing. There's a lot of violent things that happen to us, okay? And 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 uh, and the collection covers some of that. And there's no way that you can get around the fact that women were sterilized in a in a, mm-hmm. in a system, system, systematic way in Puerto Rico, right? Sort of a eugenics problem, mm-hmm. with, you know, program which is which the colonial government, you know, Puerto mm-hmm. Ricans themselves followed. So um, those kinds of things, the, the, the toil that, that, you know, my mother was worked in a factory and every time I see her coming home, I can see the, you know, how it affected her body. Mm-hmm. So these are things that, uh, that are violent to us. I mean, they, you know, they're constantly um, affecting us and, and it's another form of violence because right? violence comes in many different ways. So I think that that's something that um, is there. It does surprise me because I don't want, I don't like violence myself. Yeah, but, but it's one of those things when it's surprising that it is it's surprising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's really yeah. interesting that it is. But it's but it sounds also just imperative to come out in your work. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So speaking of your work, can you tell us about migrations? All right. So migrations, uh, as I think your listeners should know by now, it, it's, it's sort of a, a you know collection of short stories that deals with the impact that certain historical moments in our history, um, the impact it's had on just everyday people, everyday people being the characters in my, in my story. And uh, I wanted to do something historical because I think a lot of people do not know enough about Puerto Ricans. They mm-hmm. don't even know that we're, I don't know how many times I've asked, you know, like for my green card, <laughs> dude, I don't, you know. Oh my I, God. Somebody, somebody actually asked me that. And, and at that time I had my green American Express. That's what I gave them. <laughs> I said, this is good for this you. Is, this is the only green card. I have at oh, I don't oh know God. what to talk that or you know i had a check from the university of puerto rico when i first got i got back and they asked me uh you know do you want this in puerto rican dollars or american dollars 
And you know, when people ask me that, this is a teaching moment, Rachel, I'm thinking. So I said, give it to me in Puerto Rican dollars. Why don't you do that? Can you find that conversion rate? They they went, she did. She went to find the conversion rate and she came back. She was good about it though. She said she had a big smile. You got me. And I said like, well, you know, all we have is American dollars. So, you know, that kind of thing. So Uh, it's a good way. I yeah. think for readers to to find out about more about us and some yeah. of the, the the history of Puerto Rico is not happy, granted. So I can't be oh we're happy people all the time, but 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 uh, I think it's a reality check for for uh, you know call you know other yeah uh, Americans to to find out that eight million people eight million Americans this is sort of sort of the stuff that they've gone through. So it's it's thematic, it's linked, and I think the stories are very different. It's a variety of different stories, so hopefully they'll enjoy it. And it is award-winning. That's true. That yeah, must have felt that, really great. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I think we always are looking for validation writers, are, aren't they? Yes, but we yes. are. And when when somebody actually says, "Hey, this is pretty good," it, can, it wins an award. I'm going, "Oh, wow!" <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. I, that was that makes me feel very happy, <laughs> and, and that I'm not wasting my time, you know, putting so much effort into my writing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I wish you you the best in retirement from academia and your pivot into full-time writing. That's going to be super fun. Keep me posted on how that goes. I will. will. I'm going to have to follow you. Uh, Yeah. Please, please. Yeah. When I, 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 the only reason I say it is because when I went full-time writing, I didn't write that much more. I found that I was already doing as much as I could. So um, the teaching helps. I think the teaching helps. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. Oh, and where can we find you online? Okay, so uh, my handle at Facebook is at Rican Writer, and that's together. And then my website is jltorres.com. So either way, they can find it there. Thank you so much for being here, JL. It's Thank been a pleasure talking you. to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>